Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today. With Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and today I'll be sharing some insights and practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga, a philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. And we're going to look specifically at how our yoga practice, our our practice of self-realization, comes into um, developing our skills of being in the world, awake and uh, aware. How the central question, how can we get along better with other people and how can we um, treat ourselves in a positive way and what practices improve our relationship with all of creation? What attitudes can we cultivate that help to purify the mind and prepare us for meditation? So we're going to be looking at this um, cycle of, you know, how we meditate and purify the mind and that that improves our relationships and what skills we can practice in relationship that support our meditation in a very positive uh, cycle. And we are joined today by Tim Olmsted for for this conversation uh, about the four sublime attitudes that are found both in the wisdom traditions of Buddhism and yoga. And those four attitudes are friendliness, compassion, gladness, and equanimity. Tim Olmsted is the founder of the Buddhist Center of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and one of the founders and core instructors of the Turgar Meditation meditation community, and he's president of the Pema Chodron Foundation. Tim's been a student of Buddhist teaching since meeting his first teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, in Boulder, Colorado in the mid-70s. In 1981, Tim and his family moved to Kathmandu, Nepal, at the invitation of the great meditation master, Tolku Urjan Rinpoche, and his son, Choki Nima Rinpoche. In 2000, Tim was asked by Pema Chodron to become the director of Gampo Abbey, the largest monastery in the West. Tim and his wife then lived at Gampo Abbey for the next three years. Tim spends much of the year traveling around the world leading Joy of Living meditation retreats featuring Mingyo Rinpoche's teachings. You can find out more about Tim and his center in Steamboat Springs and his ongoing work in the world, Steamboat uh, steamboatbuddhistcenter.org. And Tim and I met uh, recently at uh, a wonderful retreat with Father Thomas Keating that was uh, bringing these streams of spiritual practice together. So, Tim, it's really great to reconnect with you, and welcome to the Yoga Hour. Thank you very much. And uh, before we dive into our conversation, let's just take a moment for centering ourselves and um, opening our hearts. Oh. 
We begin now with a breath, with one deep conscious breath. Just paying attention to that. Breathing in, breathing out, being aware of our breathing. Just noticing this moment, the feeling of the breath coming in, filling the abdomen, filling the chest, moving out of the body once again. And as a meditation, when we breathe in, we can feel as if we're diving within, you know, pulling our attention and awareness back within ourselves, back away from involvement in the senses, the objects of the senses, external involvement, and even letting go of being involved in our own thoughts and feelings in this moment, just diving within deeper than all of that, and letting that just continue as it is without trying to stop it or cling to it. We just allow ourselves to be, in this moment, the conscious witness of the breath. And when we take a moment like this to notice the breath, to pull our attention within, we find very often that we can connect to peace within ourselves. Peace that is always there, emanating from the essence of our being. And we can invite this peace to fill our mind, to shine in the emotional nature and the physical body. And then simply intend to let this peace overflow from our heart as a blessing for all beings everywhere. Today's uh, topic is the sublime attitudes that work for all. And we're going to be looking at how to put these attitudes to work uh, in our lives for purifying our minds, improving our relationship with others, and just generally um, finding more peace and clarity and happiness in our lives. The four attitudes of friendliness, compassion, gladness, and equanimity appear in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra which is the core text of those who are practicing Kriya Yoga. And this is Sutra 133 um, that we're referring to. And these practices are um, suggested for calming the mind, for purifying the mind, so that we can have the direct experience of our essential nature. The Sanskrit words Maitri, Karuna, Mudita, and Upeksha uh, are translated in various ways, including friendship or loving kindness, compassion, gladness or empathetic joy, and equanimity or dispassion. My guru, uh, Roy Eugene Davis, has translated this Sutra 133 in this way. The mind is purified by thoughts and feelings of friendship for others, compassion for those who are suffering, happiness for the well-being that others enjoy, and dispassion regarding what is observed. So in his commentary on the Sutra, he indicates that cultivating these virtuous qualities provides peace of mind and emotional stability. And in many commentaries, um, it, it gives us some very specific instances um, that potentially pointed to for how, in what circumstances these attitudes are cultivated. So uh, Edwin Bryant in his new commentary on the sutras translates it this way, by cultivating an attitude of friendship towards those who are happy, compassion towards those in distress, joy toward those who are virtuous, and equanimity towards those who are non-virtuous, lucidity arises in the mind. In Buddhism, these virtuous qualities are referred to as the four sublime attitudes and also as the Brahma Viharas. So, 
Uh, Tim, how do you see these four qualities that are recommended, um, you know, at, in spiritual practice? What is the larger purpose that they serve? Yeah, good question. I think there's two ways of understanding the purpose. You know, generally in our tradition, this comes in the context of what we call the development of bodhicitta, which, as you know, means sort of awakened heart. But more, um, uh, sort of more in a more detailed way, we talk about two kinds of bodhicitta. Ultimate bodhicitta is mind's nature itself. It's the, it's the quality or the nature of mind uh, in its essence. But along the path, we're training. And so this is what we call relative bodhicitta. And within relative bodhicitta, these four are what we call the aspiration. In other words, this is how we set the aspiration. This is the sort of inner landscape, these four qualities. So we would say that, you know, in some ways, there's, there's two ways to understand them. The first is as a, as a kind of training in morality. And as you said, that the, that the consequence of this is a sort of full heart and a, you could say a pure heart. Um, but another way of understanding these is that these four, love, compassion, joy, we say joy and equanimity, are in fact mind's essential nature itself, mind's purity itself, that these are the, the natural organic expression of mind itself. So, so in other words, you can think of them as trainings, or you could think of them as an organic expression of who we already are. Mm. That's a really beautiful way to think of it, isn't it? I mean, it, it is especially to understand. And this is also at the heart of Kriya Yoga. We say that Kriya Yoga is practiced to remove anything that obscures our essential nature, you mm-hmm. know. And so it's not about, you know, making yourself, um, kind and loving, compassionate <laughs> and, 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 you know, dispassionate. But those qualities are already inherent, uh, to your essential nature. So that's a beautiful reminder, Tim. And, um, and as a practice, um, this is talked about as a way that we can polish the mind. And as you have so skillfully pointed out, in a sense, it's polishing the lower mind, um, you know, the uh, purifying the mind of the lower tendencies, let me say it that way, of the reactive mind. And so um, it's so beautifully stated, you know, in the sense of, it helps us to turn around sort of, you know, what we would maybe experience as knee-jerk reactions, right? <laughs> you know, um, that, that we're not so proud of, you know, you know, jealousy, envy, pride, you know, those things that really get in the way of our relationships. And um, so I see these as a, a way of curbing the reactive nature and opening, you know, to our ability to be responsive. Let's look at the first of those sublime attitudes, um, Maitri or loving kindness, which in um, your text, I think in Pali is often uh, metta is the word, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what is the essence of, of practicing metta, loving kindness, or what we would translate here in Yoga Sutra as Maitri? How did you, how did you define it when you made the four definitions? Um, I define it as loving kindness in, in the same ways, or friendship. It's also um, uh, translated as a friendship. That's how uh, my guru has translated it. And then you said towards those who are happy. Is that what that's you- that's right? Yes. I see, I see, I see. So um, that's the first um, way the sutra is is showing. In other words, it's um, it's an antidote. Uh, towards against jealousy and envy in that mm-hmm. way so mm-hmm. we you know instead of um ha- uh being jealous of others who are happy <laughs> we mm-hmm. um we develop this sense of uh the ability um to to share in that joy and as if it's our own mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we did we define it slightly different but I think probably in essence the same. The, for us, the idea of loving kindness is wanting oneself and others to be happy. 
Whereas mm-hmm. compassion is wanting oneself or others to be free of suffering. Yeah, that's right. Right. Exactly. So, um, and the analogy, the, the analogy we use is lovely. The analogy is like a, like a mother bird in a nest holding its wing over its chicks so that it's protected from the rain. Really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that essence uh, around my tree is really the same. Like, um, wanting others to be happy. Why wouldn't we want others to be happy? You know, what, you know, what comes up, you know, in the mind that is uh, contrary to that? And, you know, I think the first thing, as I, as I mentioned that I can see is jealousy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we think, mm-hmm. you know, somehow, you know, maybe there's not enough happiness to go around <laughs> and, you know, we want to be sure we get ours. You know, I mean, it always comes down to somehow a sense of, uh, you know, egoic limitation and separation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this ability to want others to be happy, um, and, you know, ultimately, uh, I would see um, metta as, you know, wanting others to be free, right? The ultimate um, happiness. So, you know, what are some ways that that you um, work with yourself and your students on developing um, metta, of cultivating this attitude um, that, you know, we can take into the world? Like, how do we practice it? You know, not just on the cushion as a meditation, but how do we, you know, when we're in a staff meeting, when we're in a business meeting, you know, how do we bring this attitude with us and how do we um, have it help us engage in a positive way? Yeah, this is a good question. I mean, and it, it the answer depends a little bit on which tradition of Buddhism we're coming from, but Generally, I think that the, the, the way to practice it when you're in the world has to be predicated on a sort of deep contemplation, whether it be formally on the cushion or just in one's contemplative life altogether, that the, the, the more deeply and intuitively and sensitively we understand ourselves, that just over time, if we're really on the contemplative path, we begin to understand just how desperately we want to be happy. And we, when we really begin to warm up to that reality and experience it as a living thing, then we begin to understand as a sort of natural expression of that or a sort of a logical extension of that, that just like me, everybody wants what I want. And so that's, that's what begins to break down the separation. So in our, in, in, in our tradition, we talk about three stages of the development of love and compassion. And the first, and I think the most important one, is what we call equalizing, which when we really begin to understand that ourselves and others are exactly the same in our predicaments, our hopes and fears, um, that when we begin to understand that, the idea of, and we become really sensitive to that in our sort of daily life, the idea of treating other people otherwise begins to just break down kind of organically. So that really the, the practice of this starts before we get to the meeting at work. Mm-hmm. And so you said three practices, I think, um, that begin with equalizing. Equalizing. And, and then what? Then the second is the practice, I don't know if you have the same thing or not, the practice of what we call exchange or sending and taking or called mm-hmm. tanlen. Mm-hmm. So that's the second practice where we sort of breathe in mm-hmm. the suffering or whatever of others and, and, and breathe out the, the antidote or the opposite or whatever. We begin mm-hmm. to exchange. And the third um, is the, the sort of fruition is we, we naturally put others actually before ourselves in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely um, at at the heart of it, isn't it? You know, these ways to reduce the sense of separation 
Um, and as you say, this being able to take it into our, our business world, our, um, our family life, wherever we are in the community, in the world is this drawing this complete circle really from the cushion, <laughs> from our contemplation, you know, into action, which is really what it's all about. So we're going to come back from the break in just a moment and continue this conversation about these sublime attitudes. We'll be right back with you. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. Just like life, grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Rev. Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation from grief to grace and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to part two of the Yoga Hour. Today, uh, we're talking about the sublime attitudes that work for everyone and I'm I'm honored and delighted to be joined today by Tim Olmsted, the founder of the Buddhist Center of Steamboat Springs in Colorado and uh, president of the Pema Chodron Foundation and you can um, learn more about Tim at steamboatbuddhistcenter.org and uh, we're talking about um, the sublime attitudes known as the Brahma Viharas in Buddhism that are found in Sutra 133 in the Yoga Sutras for, for those practitioners of Kriya Yoga and all other forms of yoga that refer to Patanjali as a guide. And, and really these, um, these four attitudes are, uh, we think of in yoga as a way of um, polishing the mind uh, or cultivating the opposite. Um, and we can even say reducing uh, what we call rajas guna and tamas guna, those qualities of uh, restlessness and inertia and allowing the mind to be more uh, luminous in its uh, natural status, as Tim uh, mentioned in the beginning. And uh, Tim, I was noticing uh, one of the um, references to how it's seen in Buddhism, Brahma Bihara, is is translated as frolicking in Brahman. <laughs> Have you heard that? <laughs> so delightful. Right. Amazing. Beautiful. <laughs> So t- 
tell us a little more about um, how you see the approach to practicing these uh, attitudes. Well, one of the things that that I uh, hear very commonly um, sort of stated in the Buddhist world is this idea that somehow ego is this kind of real thing and we have to diminish it, get rid of it, uh, uh, hold it at bay, uh, or, or whatever. And that these somehow these qualities are ways of diminishing ego or diminishing our proverbial self-cherishing. That's the way that is sort of the narrative that is fairly common. And actually, if we look really closely, the desire to be happy and free of suffering, at the core, however we do it for oneself, at the core it's love and compassion. The fact that we personally want to be happy and free of suffering, the 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 movement, that that general energetic is beautiful. It's the essence of love and compassion. Mm-hmm. So for me, more and more as time goes on, I think less about this idea of sort of reducing ego, which we can't really find anyway. <laughs> reducing something that's not there. Hey, wait, wait a minute. I've seen it. I've seen traces of it, Tim. <laughs> I see it when it goes by. <laughs> right, right. And rather than that, um, it's more kind of expanding it, um, sort of globalizing it, so that we begin to encompass others in that basic that basic urge or that basic concern. I, I got into this by thinking a lot about mothers with newborns and sort of, you know, sort of psychodynamically or, you know, in terms of the development of ego, they talk about how a mother's sort of ego expands to to uh, embrace the newborn. And I think the, 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 the development of these four is that we begin to expand and embrace all others. So anyway, mm, I think it's a little more humane way of understanding it. It is, in in a sense of, and again, you know, we're back to what you offered so eloquently in our first part of the program is, you know, just this reminder that in a sense, you know, I, I say it like this, we're, we have to remember that we're not trying to make ourselves spiritual um, because, you know, then, um, <laughs> you know, we sort of dig our heels into uh, the negative attitudes that we're just letting, you know, drop away, but we, mm-hmm. we fortify them with the idea idea that somehow you know we're we're bad and wrong and we need to you know clean up our act but this idea of opening um and 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 using that you know fundamental sense of everybody wants to be happy you know I often uh, remind people that when paramansa yogananda came to uh the us you know in 1920 his sort of maiden speech was really that it was um he, he he talked about how everybody wants god you know in in yoga's terms you know everybody wants god but what he did was he called it the science of religion and he said we can, you know, we, we maybe have disagreements about whether people are looking for God or not, but we all agree that everybody's looking for happiness, um, or bliss. Mm-hmm. And so that was his entryway, you know, to helping people see that fundamental urge, you know, that we have, which right. he then, which he then connected uh, to the search for self-realization mm-hmm. or in yoga, what we would call God realization. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and as you, as you were speaking, I was thinking about, um, just this initial practice, you know, we want to be happy and we expand our heart to see that in others that they too want to be happy and free from suffering. And I was thinking about something I read years ago by, uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama where he, he said we, we, we begin with, uh, a kind of selfish selflessness. Mm-hmm. Sort of enlightened self-interest. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. That you know we're we are in that state of you know doing this because we understand that it actually contributes to our own happiness. Like to include others in that circle is is going to work really well for us. And, um, and where else? But but there's no other place to start because that's <laughs> where we are at any given. Exactly. So I, I think that you know I, I just think that. It, it occurs to me that Westerners, um, and because there's a lot of sort of narrative about, about, you know, self-interest and self-concern is bad, actually, I think it's wonderful. Where else are we going to start? How else are we going to understand other people's 
interest and concern if we don't really understand ours and address ours. Mm-hmm. So I think it's quite beautiful, actually. And so, you know, let's move, let's shift, you know, to the next sublime attitude that's listed in this sutra, which is uh, karuna, or compassion. Um, and in the sutra, it specifically says, you know, compassion for those uh, who are suffering which, you know, we've just clarified is everybody, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> like getting in yeah. touch with our own and then, uh, you know, being able to um, be responsive to others, you know, with with compassion. And so, you know, and I always look at these attitudes as a way of helping us not shut down, you know, but to keep our hearts open. And I think if we, for me, as I look at this as an antidote, as a way of being, you know, to touch in on what this suffering is and to have a space big enough to include it, um, for me, what it is, is um, an antidote to turning away. You know, I mean, I think there's a reactive um, quality that would have us turn away from suffering um, because we're afraid it's contagious, we're afraid it's going to overwhelm us, we're afraid of our own suffering, really, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you see this one, this practice of compassion uh, coming in? You know, what? how do we cultivate that? Yeah, I mean, I think um, these first two, you know, are so linked. I mean, they're sort of, in some ways, the same thing. And again, this is really where we get to this issue of of really making friends with oneself, really, really deeply. And uh, this takes time. And just like any the development of any friendship, it takes time. It takes tenderness, interest, attention, and really when. Um, I mean, not being friends with ourselves is sort of running away from the reality of what's going on. If we're in trouble, if we're hurting, if there's pain, trying to cover it over, particularly by some sort of spiritual uh, fix, you know, that's not making friends with ourselves. Making our friends with ourselves really, I think, is based on sort of being willing to embrace everything that we're experiencing at any given time. And this is the basis of compassion. Uh, you know, we use this really terribly hackneyed sort of term in Buddhism these days called self-compassion. But I think this is what where that is going. And then, again, then seeing other people in that same light is just a natural expression. In other words, if if we if it's lit up here, then that light uh, uh, lights other people too. So it's completely organic, I think, and it's quite spontaneous. Mm. And what about the fear? That we get that, well, there's, I see it as twofold. One is that it will overwhelm us. And two, that, you know, we can't really open ourselves in this way, um, not only because it'll overwhelm us, but because it means like to really be compassionate is to be moved, you know, not only in terms of attitude, but in terms of action, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to to be moved to actually alleviate um, suffering. And so I'm, I'm sure those two things are linked uh, in mm-hmm. the mind. But so how do you see um, those resistances that can come up? You know, like, I, I can't look because I, I just can't, it, I'll just drown. If I really, you know, if I really look at these refugees, you know, let's just go there, right? Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. I look at these boats, mm-hmm. if I look at, you know, people who are sinking their own boats um, mm-hmm. so that they can't be turned back, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I really look at that, it's just overwhelming. So what do I do about that? Yeah, this is the million-dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry, Tim. I no, know this, no, this, is, <laughs> this is so important, you know. I mean, I think, at the end of the day, we both agree in both of our traditions that suffering is endless. And uh, when we look, we need to let that break our hearts. It does break our heart. It is heartbreaking. But at the same time, personally, there's something deeper than that that we need to personally find and experience that can hold our own heartbreak our own suffering, something that's vaster and deeper, 
that of course is the basis of your tradition as well. And then the expression of that is the expression of real deep, nearly heartbroken empathy and that, that readiness to respond, but also the equanimity, which we'll get to, to understand that sometimes we can't and to have a balance there. So this is really the skill of, of a compassionate, active person is this quality of equanimity. Otherwise, we'll just get completely, completely overwhelmed. And then the whole thing crashes and shuts down. Exactly. And that is so skillful, you know, to point to, you know, what, what comes next or, you know, in the mix is equanimity. Um, because without that, you know, we, we do, we can get so, um, we can shut down, which is the opposite of what we're looking for. Yeah. And so we're looking for how to walk in the world, um, you know, with this, uh, open heart that allows us, um, to be grounded in, um, in loving kindness and in compassion, um, and to keep our eyes open to suffering, to yeah. not shut down to it, but to, yeah. at the same time to not be overcome by it. And That's I think it. with regard to this sense of, well, if you really see suffering and you're really compassionate, that means you're going to do something about it. Um, I think that there's an element there too in our practice that um supports us in letting go of the idea that it's all up to us. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's right. It, it, exactly. And 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 you know in the in and I keep talking I can only speak for the Buddhist tradition but I keep hearing these references that compassion isn't compassion unless it's activated. And I actually completely uh, I don't think that that's quite the case. You know, in some ways we talk about, we need to talk about the essence of compassion and then the expression of compassion. So the essence of compassion is this fundamental sensitivity and connectivity and heartbreak in a lot of ways. We need to develop the capacity to embrace a a real deep sadness without it crashing us. And then sometimes when it's appropriate and when we have the ability, we can actually do something. But doing something is not in and itself compassion. Yeah, that is such a beautiful distinction. And, you know, we really say that the, that what compassion brings is being moved to assist. Yes. And so, you know, that's essential to compassion. And that can take so many forms, you know, and, and really simply, um, cultivating compassion itself and that attitude is a, is a way of assist. You know, yes. uh, instead of pushing away. And if we're in that mind state of being moved to assist, then what I find is that if there's something we can do, uh, it naturally arises, uh, you know, it, it, itself. It, it, and it's different than, you know, I'm going to save the world, which is, you know, really problematic for everybody. Uh, so I find it has a very different quality, uh, in that, in that way. Um, and I, and I'd love your description of, you know, we just really have to have a broken heart <laughs> because that's how I feel. You know, it just, you have to be able to have your heart open to experience that sorrow. Um, but to be able to, um, have the experience of, of love, uh, at, beneath it you know that's yes. that's holding it yes um so we have a couple minutes in this segment so let's begin um to touch on um joy and delight which is the third um one that's listed in the in the sutra um which tells us that we're um being able to d- delight um with the virtuous um, in other words to um bring forth again this one seems like um, an antidote to jealousy and envy um, uh, like that so how do you see this practice of delight well again technically we, we would agree you know that we also say that it's a, an antidote uh, to jealousy and envy um, we talk about it in a couple of other ways as well you know one is just taking joy in the fact that we have a life altogether. And that we can make this life meaningful by this endeavor, you know, the endeavor of sort of uh, waking up and, for oneself and benefiting others. So there's a fundamental joy there. 
then the part of it of this contemplation of joy that I love is in terms of the way it can be practiced is just to share to take delight in other people's delight and to me if there's one single practice in the entire path that we can invoke easily and quickly at any time is just when we notice someone is happy we see someone smiling we train ourselves to delight in that even if they're college kids you know way too loud and perhaps a little intoxicating at the essence we can say well they seem to be happy right now and share that and there's no end to delight in the world when we key into it in that way mm. that's such a beautiful way to think of this practice and we're you know we can also notice that we're naturally drawn to do that you know where we don't have um anything that gets in the way of it. You know, the most simple expression is, you know, when we see a baby laughing, yes. <laughs> we hear a baby yeah, laugh, yeah, see yeah, a baby laughing or a child, you know, we naturally participate in that. It's It just um, can get more complex, you know, as our relationships get more involved. <laughs> and so I think to just see how we naturally um, can delight, and that is our that is our tendency. That's a beautiful way to think of how to increase joy for ourselves and for others. Um, just to notice that it's something natural we do. Uh, you're listening to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and our guest today is Tim Olmsted, founder of the Buddhist Center of Steamboat Springs and uh, president of the Pema Children Foundation. We'll be back with you in just a moment for our last segment. Um, and looking at these four sublime attitudes. If I were brave, I'd walk the races where fools and dreamers dare to tread and never lose. How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly Are you ready to live in joy? Is there an area of your life where you could use a miracle? Have you been praying for help and guidance? Come join Lisa and Bill and their guests for an hour filled with practical tips on experiencing miracles, greater abundance, focused, deliberate living, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Experience more joy in life. Listen to Living in Joy, Reflections on a Course in Miracles, with Lisa Natoli and Bill Free, every Friday at 2 p.m. Central, here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at theyogahour at unityonlineradio.org and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm talking today with Tim Olmsted, the founder of the Buddhist Center of Steamboat Springs in Colorado. And we've been talking about um, what we're calling the uh, sublime attitudes, the Brahma Viharas. And these are the attitudes um, for purifying the mind, um, for abiding in our essential nature that we find listed in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra 
in the first pada on um, practices in support of samadhi. Um, this is 133. And um, in yoga, these practices are really taught as the key to... Um, to reducing um, Thomas Guna and Rajas Guna, um, to purifying the mind and and freeing us from attraction and aversion. You know that's really the key. You know we we have uh, uh, an understanding that the <laughs> this elusive ego that you mentioned, Tim, is really propped up by our desires in, you know, in the form of our attractions and our aversions and that these, these, these four sublime attitudes, um, support us in, you know, kicking out the posts, you know, under, uh, our attractions and aversions. And in particular, now when we get into this last one, upeksha, which is, uh, usually translated as equanimity. And here, in the in the sutra in patanjali's yoga sutra most um uh, uh, translate that uh, of course as as dispassion and equanimity and uh, my guru has said to what is observed uh, traditional commentaries often say uh, to the non-virtuous and my guess is that my guru didn't say that in that way because he he tends to um lift up the positive about our nature and not say, you know, people are non-virtuous. But here, I think it's referring, you know, to attitudes um, and behaviors that we might judge as being non-virtuous. So, you know, there's a, there's a tendency to react uh, when we see somebody do something or we hear something that we think is bad or wrong. Um, so equanimity or dispassion is recommended and and i i am guessing for you tim uh, that equanimity is a much bigger ball game than that so t- <laughs> so tell us tell us about that well again uh, depending on the commentator and and the tradition uh sometimes it's talked about in exactly that same way um you know i think equanimity for me means a couple of things you know first is a basic balance of mind a fundamental ability to acknowledge and abide with and and accommodate how things are right now. So, for instance, if a surgeon goes into an emergency room, that kind of balanced mind to see it clearly and not believe or hope or imagine that it should be some other way, that this is the way the world is and have some balance with that. And then, you know, so that's one's own mind. And then, you know, I think... There's a various spin-offs, but one of them that's been very helpful for me is when we uh, sort of try to to do something, engage a situation, try to benefit, if it doesn't work, or if people don't take our advice, our wonderful advice or whatever, that we're balanced about that too. I think that's really helpful. Yeah, learning how to be non-reactive <laughs> in a sense right in in the face of um difficulties and and challenges you know so what are some of the skills let's think about you know what are the, some of the skills that we that we bring uh to bear in such a situation you know how do we develop that kind of seeing you know one of the things that comes to mind for me is you know in and you had mentioned earlier that these are really based on the depth of our contemplative practice, like really seeing into the heart of the way that things are. And so, you know, one of the primary insights um, for me with equanimity is understanding that, you know, well, several things, but one, you know, this all changes all the time, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, n- n- none of it is fixed. And right. so to have a sense of the fluidity of things moving and changing, I think for me, helps me not try to, you know, hang on to something being, you know, just what it is in that little blip of a moment. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Um. And then, you know, the other thing I think for me in terms of equanimity is recognizing that uh, often and probably all the time, um, I don't necessarily see the whole picture 
um, and you know, this keys into compassion as well. You know, like, um, we don't necessarily see all the causes and conditions that bring something about. I completely agree. And this is so important because how, what do, how, just as you're saying, I mean, when we look at people and see situations, we don't know what's going on. We don't know that that college student who's making too much noise because they're a little bit intoxicated, we don't know that they weren't suicidal three days earlier and they're so happy to be alive. Mm-hmm. We just don't know situations. The, the Buddha said, who knows whether he really said this, so much is attributed to the Buddha, but nonetheless, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the Buddha said to understand everything is to forgive everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think this, and the basis of understanding, again, starts, I think, with this deep, empathetic, intuitive understanding of ourselves. If we understand that, we look out and we see that we're capable of anything. People are no different. We're no different than other people. So who mm-hmm. is there to blame? Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Yeah, and a student at our center one day said to me, and he just articulated, you know, what you've just pointed to. He he said he was having uh, an experience of, you know, uh, not really road rage, but we'll call it road anger, you know, when mm-hmm. somebody cut him off. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, and he was trying to practice equanimity. And um, and so he said what came up in his mind in, as he had become willing to practice equanimity was, oh, I've done that. <laughs> Yeah, in and, fact, it's, it's worse than that. The, the way the world begins to play with you, you know, when you're well on this path, I find that if I'm uh, sort of getting angry at someone in a car next to me for doing something, I've had this happen all the time, I'll be sort of going on in my mind, and then I'll look up and see that I've just run a, a yellow light. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So opening <laughs> opening our awareness uh, to our humanity and uh, then also um, that the, the openness uh, at, at the ground of our being, the open heart that allows us um, to breathe in, to forgive, you know, to have an attitude of loving compassion because we're, we're, we're able to stand in that. You know, this has been a beautiful conversation, Tim, and I'm so grateful to you for joining me today. And I want to remind the listeners they can find out more about you and your work at steamboatbuddhistcenter.org. And I also want to invite our listeners to join us on the Yoga Hour next week for Good Sense, Good Science, and Good Practices for Health and Well-Being with guest uh, Diana Lurie, Professor of Neuropharmacology and an Ayurvedic practitioner. So she's going to talk about you know some of these things we wonder about, these dietary practices that are recommended for us. Do they agree with science? So tune in and find out. I want to invite you to visit our uh, website, csecenter.org, to find out more about uh, programs offered there. If you're listening in real time, I want to invite you to meditation retreat coming up with uh, that I'm doing with Swami Bodhananda Saraswati, and you can find out about that on our homepage. Remember to subscribe uh, to the Yoga Hour through iTunes. And uh, Tim, thank you again for being with us today. It's really uh, been delightful. Thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks so much. And we'll have to we'll have to do it again. The Yoga Hour is a service project of Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. We welcome people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization. Our world headquarters are located in San Jose, California. And again, you can find us on the web, www.csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to Yoga Hour at iTunes. Tell your friends about us. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember to practice those four sublime attitudes. Let your inner light shine into the world. Share your peace, your joy, your loving kindness with all that you meet. Bye now. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. 
The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Repeat the words, God is taking care of it, and it will become clear that you are the channel and that God is the doer of good works through you. This meditative moment, adapted from Mary Cupferly's God Will See You Through, is brought to you by Unity. Have you heard about Dr. Tom Shepard's new program on Unity Online Radio? Tom Shepard, isn't he the Unity Magazine question and answer guy? Right. Well, they've actually turned him loose with a radio show, and I hear it's going to be pretty edgy. Edgy? Like what? Guest panelists and students from Unity Institute and Seminary. Topics like abortion, gay marriage, war and peace, environmental issues, Islamic fundamentalism, universal health care, religion and politics, current events. Yeah, but they'll all be Unity people, right? Dr. Tom and his students will talk about the hard questions facing all people today, sometimes joined by rabbis, priests, liberal and conservative ministers, Buddhist monks, Baha'is, Hindus. And he's going to interview them on the program? Better. He's going to introduce a controversial topic and let students and special guests go for it. This could get explosive. Does he have guys in black shirts standing by to break up the fights? (laughs) If I know Dr. Tom, he will keep it both friendly and spirited. Whoa, I gotta hear this. When and where? The program is called Let's Talk About It, and it's on every Thursday at 9 a.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio. So let's talk about it. Definitely, let's. Somewhere, tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, For Unity Classic Radio, words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio, words from our past, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, Right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world.
Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. 